You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. I sincerely hope that you never have the problem we are discussing today. Not only because I'd like to think all our listeners are good people who would never do anything to destroy their own Google results, but also because that kind of problem happens to perfectly normal people who have done nothing wrong, and the results can be disastrous. It won't shock anyone to learn how badly a negative reputation online can impact your real-world prospects. That was clear, like, a decade ago. What might surprise you, though, is the rabbit hole you can fall down when attempting to either clear your name from an online attack or even to remove legitimate information about you. In this world, there are angels and devils. Some companies have a stated mission to help those who have been unfairly wronged online rehabilitate their reputations. Other companies in the business have less of a pure approach, and they exist as part of a vicious cycle that can both trap people in a world that leaves them powerless and broke and can make a ton of revenue in the process. Whether you live a perfectly virtuous life or not, you should listen to the difference between them because you might need these services one day. We all might. Welcome to the world of online reputation management. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Paul Gallant is a Toronto-based writer who covers business, travel, culture, and society. He wrote this story for The Walrus. Hey, Paul. Good morning. My first question for you is just, can you tell me about uh, Matt Earle, who I guess is from Toronto, and his company, uh, Reputation.ca? What do they do? Um, They were one of the first companies I came across when I started working on the story. Uh, Matt Earle has a company that uh, does reputation management online. Now, that sounds like it might be simple, but it's actually very complicated because um, there's many ways that one's reputation can be affected online. So they would have strategies to uh, address issues with your reputation on everything from mainstream media, you know, legacy media, to blogs, to review websites, to websites that exist in the world that are kind of mostly dedicated to defaming people. Hmm. So they would have a variety of approaches to each of these kind of different types of uh, online publication to kind of clean up your reputation, to try to encourage good things being said or being reported about you and to kind of play down or perhaps eliminate the, the bad things being said about you and your business. Can you maybe give us some practical examples of work they've done? You know, how varied is it and, and how prominent are some of their clients? I guess I'm trying to get a sense of who this service is for. Well, I would say, I mean, because uh, obviously the, the, the clients who are going to uh, reputation management companies are concerned about their reputation. So the reputation management companies aren't going to tell any details about them. Right. These are clients who usually want to have a low profile. Um, I would say it's it's not a cheap service to get, so it's mostly companies or you know well-known people who uh, whose reputation is worth a lot to them. It could be you know big big companies, up-and-coming companies, well well-known people um, who will pay good money to make sure they have a good reputation. 
Um, but also it can be people who are defamed online or who feel they're defamed online, who just are very emotionally invested in that bad thing out there about them. So they might be prepared to spend a lot of money to get rid of that bad thing. Um, it's not cheap though. Well, that was my next question is just, you know, how much do they charge? And I guess this might cover a lot of ground, but, but what kind of services specifically do they perform to achieve what they promise? Um, well, Matt Earl says their their campaigns can cost between ten and twenty thousand dollars, but running kind of over several months. It's it's a very complicated industry, so it kind of depends what you're looking for and what what uh, kinds of websites are you're you're wrangling with. Mm-hmm. If we talk about legacy media, if you somebody feels they've been defamed or has there's something reported about them they want to see in legacy media, like a newspaper or a mainstream broadcaster, right. the company might you know uh, try to fact check what was published, uh, present the publisher with other information that would kind of lead the publisher to make a correction or remove information, lobby the editor to kind of do something about the story. Usually legacy media, mainstream media won't take down a story. So it's kind of using research skills and kind of persuasion to get them to alter it or, or do something to it websites that are kind of more blog based or like you know smaller operations that may not uh, have the ethical rules that a, a mainstream newspaper or, or other publication might have you know it might be you know literally bullying them and just saying please take this down or we're going to sue you or this is going to happen to you for other websites you know that might actually be defaming or saying bad things about people for profit. So sometimes some publications, you have to go to them and offer them money to, to have them take down or change material. Right. There's the other aspect of it is search engine optimization, which is very technical, but it kind of means putting lots of good things out there so the bad results or the unwanted results aren't as obvious and don't come up in search results. Um, and there's lots of kind of back-end tinkering and kind of playing with the algorithms of Google and other search engines um, that are often proprietary, so the reputation managers don't want to talk about them, but uh, it kind of allows them to make sure unwanted results, if they can't be disappeared, uh, don't surface so easily. I want to ask you about something you just mentioned, which are some of the sites that have kind of online defamation, for lack of a better term, or at least online tattling as as their business model. You mentioned a site in your in your piece called the dirty could you maybe explain it i'm just trying i want our readers to get a a sense of what kind of beyond legacy media and blogs what kind of sites are out there that can harm reputations online i mean i think that was the thing that was kind of most surprising to me when i started working on the story because when my editor and i started talking about it i think we both kind of thought of these organizations as kind of like, well, how do they make the Globe and Mail take down a story or change a story? I guess that's our original framing was kind of that. Right. Um, and what kind of skills does it take to to get, you know, the Globe to change something or take down something? But then as you kind of start to go down the rabbit hole, then you see there's lots of smaller publications that um, can be kind of bullied or persuaded. And then you see that there's an array of publications online that are kind of almost devoted to uh, publishing unflattering material, kind of creating a system either to have themselves paid directly to have that material removed or suppressed or controlled, 
or to kind of through intermediaries kind of channel money or, you know, advertising their way um, because of that unwanted content. So the, the dirty, which you just mentioned, is one of the most kind of well-known ones. Kind of looks like a celebrity gossip website. It's kind of all pink and kind of colorful and kind of done up like a celebrity blog. But what they do is they encourage users to post things uh, about, you know, people they're upset with usually. Um, and it's usually tremendously unflattering. And because it's being posted by anonymous users, the dirty doesn't really take responsibility for what's been published. They don't fact check. They have a few simple rules about, you know, child pornography or threats. Um, but aside from that, it's kind of anything goes. So, you know, you'll see a lot of material about, I mean, aggrieved ex-lovers or seem to be a very big category of people using these sites. Right. And they will post, you know, he was a bad father and he had these sexually transmitted diseases and she was very promiscuous. I'm using gentler terms that usually shows up on these websites. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, often that material that was posted about you would be very triggering, right? And you'd be desperate to not have that information out there about you. And these sites are kind of exploiting that, uh, having this material published. And then maybe they will take money themselves or you know, work with a third party to have that material removed. Um, it's hard to see the exact motivations because, of course, they're being very mysterious about it. Nobody wants to say they're purposely committing extortion or so that it's, it's it's quite shady you know how the relationship between these websites some of the companies that promise to you know take down the information on these websites and and the people who are posting the information yeah you kind of describe you know a self-fulfilling prophecy almost where you know the the reputation damage happens and the companies who purport to eliminate it are almost working. And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, so I'd love to hear you explain it, but are almost go hand in hand uh, with the companies that promise to remove it. And and to me, that sounds like a shakedown. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. I mean, I think, for example, Matt Earl's company, I mean, he he's not, I'm, I'm pretty confident from talking to him that he's not complicit with the uh, sites that kind of purposely try to upset people. But, you know, he will, you know, go to them and say, what do I need to do to have this removed? You can see that there's other kind of uh, repu- reputation fixers and kind of law firms who advertise on these websites, who kind of have, you know, link connections to them. And one might presume that there's kind of a, a deal happening that kind of has the, the site on one hand kind of put up embarrassing material and... Mm-hmm. And then somebody else offers a remedy and you can kind of see in the links connections between them. But, you know, it's hard to say what what exactly those connections are, how formal the relationships are, you know, what kind of cash might pass hands. It's it's hard to say. Nobody's going to come out and say, yes, this organization is actually part of our own organization. That's not possible. When you're reporting on this stuff and asking these kind of organizations these kind of questions, did you worry about your own online reputation? I did. It's, it's funny when I was, you know, googling law, googling lawyers uh, and and other experts who who kind of look in this field and 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 work in it. 
you know, very, very well-known trial lawyers, you Google them and you get results that they're a terrorist or that they're, you know, a pedophile is a very common insult that's kind of th thrown around. Um, so you can see that the people who um, are poking their nose in this business uh, are often targeted, I guess, as a way to discourage them. So I, 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 have, I was worried and have been, have been worried about it. Uh, I haven't encountered any issues yet, knock on wood. Do we have any idea, and this is what kind of fascinates me about this piece, is trying to determine the difference between, you know, a a bad actor that is paying a company to bump down results that are true about bad things they did when you're talking about, you know, a potential crime reported by legacy media or whatever, versus people who are essentially um, stuck in a position of of being slandered online by either a jilted ex-lover or someone else. and and need to pay to remove false content? Um, very, I would say very hard to say. I mean, especially on the, the sleazier side of the industry, it's very hard to know what even the relationships between the various parties are. One of the funny things going into the story, I was like, okay, I want to I talk to people who feel they've been defamed online and see how, how they feel um, and how they dealt with it. Now, tell me, if you've been called a pedophile online, are you interested in talking to a reporter? Um, you're, you're, you're not. Right. So the, the, the consumers in this industry are usually kind of feeling feeling of shame or embarrassment or, or at least want to get control of their online reputation in a way uh, that they you know, don't want publicity. You know, their, their ultimate goal is to not talk about it. So it's very hard to get a sense of who's doing what, who wants what. I mean, that's why I, I think I mentioned the piece, there's a case of Brandon Rook, um, which is one of the few uh, Canadian uh, court cases about it. Brandon didn't return my calls to be interviewed, but at least I could talk about his court case because that's in the public record. So that kind of gives you a bit of a sense of how hard it is to determine what is happening, who are these customers, and uh, what they end up going through. Can you maybe quickly explain what happened to Brandon and, and what happened in court? Because my next question for you anyway was going to be about, you know, what happens when this stuff actually enters the legal realm? I mean, I think the thing is, the story is also kind of getting at how this industry has sprung up, partly because the law really fails to to help people in these kind of situations. And it's very hard to get people to talk about it. So I went looking through court cases and did find the case of Brandon Rook, who is a, a Vancouver-based geologist and business consultant. Um, and one of his exes uh, had sour enough feelings towards him that went online and posted, you know, almost a hundred uh, social media posts on sites like the dirty, which we've mentioned hmm. cheaters are us slut report and posted tremendous amount of uh, embarrassing material, whether true or not, it was certainly embarrassing and written with this vindictive tone, let's say. And Brandon Rook was one of the few people who, you know, took, took that person to court and was able to create evidence. Cause that's the other trick about them online defamation or online embarrassment, sometimes it's very hard to pinpoint who, who said it, who posted it. He was able to actually form a connection between this material and his ex-wife and was able to say, yes, she was directly responsible for posting this material and she did it out of malice. Um, the court awarded Rook 200,000 bucks in damages plus costs. But that wasn't you know, before he had already gone to an online reputation management company and spent uh, right. a tremendous amount of money trying to get that material removed before he ended up in court. 
How is it possible for these companies like reputation.ca or, or any of them, because I'm not trying to pick on any one of them, to provide what seems, you know, based on, based on this discussion, like a necessary service without, you know, actively disappearing things that do deserve to be public. You know, some of this is is people like Brendan that you described, but others are businesses who have done some shady stuff that that want to make it go away. I mean, I think that's where the fact that this has become an industry rather than become a, a legal problem that can be dealt with in the court is, is a real problem because if you're paying companies to disappear or suppress this material, the companies taking your money don't really care whether it's true or false, useful to the public good or not, right? That's that's not really a factor. The factor is how much are you paying them? What methods can they suppress or or, or eliminate the material by? Right. So truth truth is not really irrelevant when it's run as an industry. You know, the the law, the legal system care, cares about truth, but the legal system so far hasn't really been an effective way to uh, deal with this material. What did you learn then in the course of your reporting about how people can protect themselves from this kind of stuff being done to them online if the legal system is not a great recourse and most people, to be frank, don't have ten to $20,000 for a hmm, reputation rehab? Well, I mean, definitely some some embarrassing things that are said about us online are true. You know, if you commit a crime and it's reported, that's true. And perhaps it's in the public's best interest that that be out there, no matter how embarrassing it is to you. So, I mean, I'll, you know, I'm, I guess on the first the first piece of advice I would give people is uh, don't break the law and do embarrassing things. Don't do crimes. <laughs> um on the other side of things, you know, if it's a, a jilted ex-lover who wants to humiliate you or, you know, a former employee who has really bad feelings about you and wants to punish you, um, except for, you know, maintaining positive relationships with everybody at all time, <laughs> all times in your life, there's, there's nothing really you can do to stop those people. And ultimately, it's very hard to get that material removed or suppressed once, once they do it. I think one of the questions that had been mentioned uh, as I was going into this is, you know, whether what a person should do with their own online life, you know, because can a person, you know, I guess some people kind of feel like, oh, I just don't want to have an online presence at all. A lot of online reputation managers would suggest that that's a bad idea because having some of your own controlled material online is a good way to kind of drown out any bad material that might be out there about you. So, you know, if you're really concerned about these things, it's good to have, you know, a Facebook profile, have a Twitter account. You know, you don't use them a lot or don't say very much. You have them, you take up that space that stops somebody from stepping into that space for you and saying, you know, using your name as a, as a Twitter account that's going to say embarrassing things, right? So occupying that space uh, before anybody else can occupy it and having venues where neutral or good things about you can can appear is a good way to uh, suppress or drown out the, the bad things. Paul, thank you so much for this and uh, stay safe out there online. All right. Thank you very much. Paul Gallant writing in The Walrus. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. 
Talk to us anytime via email, the big story podcast that is all one word at rci.rogers.com. You can find this podcast in any podcast player, whichever one you prefer Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, PodTrack, Good Pods. I'm running out of ones to name in this segment. So I will dig down to the bottom of the list and find some new ones for you to try next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. We'll talk on Monday.